After a lifetime of researching the dynamic and enigmatic world of light entertainment, I've decided to ditch my notebook and meet the people who inspire me. What makes them the people they are? How do they feel about the show business landscape in which they find themselves? And in a world where anyone can be a star, is there still a need for performers who have universal appeal? Come with me on a journey of discovery as I get a unique insight into Britain's favourite stars with a little help from my glamorous assistants. Yeah, well, I say glamorous, more like hazardous. And of course, we'll have a bit of fun along the way. Writer and comedian Jasper Carrot burst onto the comedy circuit during the mid-1970s with his unique routine mixing comedy with folk music something which proved popular in the northern working men's clubs where he had honed his craft. By 1975, Jasper found himself with a hit single, Funky Moped, which made his popularity grow. Throughout the 80s and 90s, his partnership with the actor Robert Powell made him one of the most recognisable faces on British television, thanks in part to the classic BBC One caper, The Detectives. I was interested to hear stories from an unparalleled career in comedy and get his take on being back on the road. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jasper Carrot. You began your professional career in the mid-1970s alongside people like Victoria Wood, Lenny Henry and Billy Connolly. Researching this period, I find it very interesting. How do you think your generation bridged the gap between mainstream variety and alternative comedy? It's a good question. I think myself, Billy Connolly, um, Max Boyce, Mike Harding, we came through the folk club circuit and also universities, colleges, polytechnics. And we learned how to talk to an audience rather than at them. Because comedy in the 70s, well, prior to that, stand-up comedy was really just one-line jokes, you know, about silly Irishmen and mother-in-laws and whatever. And myself and Bill and Mike, we, we sort of started to do raconteuring, t- talking to people about their everyday lives, you know, what it was like to live in big cities, because obviously Billy lived in Glasgow, I lived in Birmingham. And we, it was a, it was a raconteur style, and it wasn't one line, it was, it was comedy, but involved, and, and, and it was important to paint a picture with words. And it was a real, um, it was a real difference to what comedy was, you know, stand-up comedy. And, and I mean, I was very influenced by Americans, uh, Tom Lehrer, Shelley Berman, uh, Bob Newhart, um, Bill Cosby, <laughs> I mean, which you probably shouldn't admit to now. Um, but it, it was a real revolution. And, uh, and, in, and that was, I'm talking about uh, late, well, yes, late 70s. So you're talking in uh, about 40 years ago. And comedy has changed enormously in those 40 years, you know. Uh, and comedy now is like music because... Whatever you want, whatever you like, it's catered for. Whether it's pure filth or, or if it's um, uh, you know, satire or um, reflection as a bottom line, people are doing it and you have all that choice, which you never had in the 70s. And let's talk about your heroes growing up. You've frequently gone on record saying that the great Bob Monkhouse was a big inspiration. Why do you think he was so important in the direction of British comedy? Well, I don't know um, whether Bob was that important at the time. Um, Bob 
Bob was influenced by the alternative comedy that we produced. Bob was never, not actually a hero of mine. Um, in fact, he, he was somebody that I would have taken the mickey out of until I saw him in, 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 in concert in Cabaret. And um, he, he was just, I just thought, blimey, this guy is really good. But he was still very old network, you know, so, I mean, pretty much one-line jokes. Um, and I mean, he was never, I didn't rate, I didn't think he was ever blue, although he was accused of being blue, but he was a very clever man. And I got to know him in his latter years. Um, but he wasn't, a, he wasn't an influence of mine. No, uh, as I said earlier, uh, Tom Lehrer, uh, Shelley Berman in, in this country, there, were, there was no raconteurs as far as I could tell, except a bloke called Blaster Bates, who was, um, an explosive expert. And he did, um, after dinners for, uh, you know, rotary clubs and cricket clubs and golf clubs. And he made a couple of albums and they were very much on the sort of storytelling side. And he would have been a, an influence of mine uh, rather than the, the stand-ups that were going around, you know, doing the one-line gags. In 1978, you were approached by Michael Grade at LWT to appear in your own and audience with. Now, what sort of accolade was it to head up such a big show? Well, at the time, um, Michael Gray took uh, quite a chance. He came to see me, funnily enough, he came to see me in 1976. And I was doing a, a show at the Royal Shakespeare Theatre in Stratford. Uh, and the support act was Victoria Wood. So, and, and as he said at the time, he said he gave me this, uh, this offer of a pilot for London Weekend. And he never even noticed Victoria Wood. I mean, amazing when you look back. Um, but um, he gave me he gave me a, a pilot, and then he really liked what he uh, uh, what I did, and he gave me the chance to do six half hours um, uh, for London Weekend Television, and um, that that was then taken up by all the ITV regions who were very separate in those days, and it took twelve months for me to get onto ITV and all the regions. So like, you know, in, in, in January, February, it would be London Weekend and, and Wales, and then it would go to Southern Television and then up to Granada. And, well, and it took 12 months for it to go round, which was brilliant because I could go in on the back of where it was shown. And, and I, I did 125 concerts and sold out 124 of them. And the one I didn't sell out was Burnley um, because they hadn't seen the series. Um, and I thought Burnley was part of Yorkshire television, but it wasn't. It was Granada, and Granada hadn't shown it. Now, where did you get your inspiration for the song Funky Moped? <laughs> I, was, um, I was touring with an American called Chris Roman, um, and he'd written a song called Little Big Bike, and it was for a musical in America. And it, I mean, when I say a musical, it wasn't a big-time musical. It was for, you know, sort of... Um, a, a local theatre group or whatever and it was called Little Big Bike and uh, we talked about um, uh, t changing it for the live show so we called it Funky Moped and then eventually when the record company came calling and they wanted me to make an album they asked me to make a single so I stuck I, I did Funky Moped and then I ran out of money and, and I stuck on the back a thing called Magic Roundabout just because it didn't cost anything and I hadn't got any money and because it was magic roundabout that became the hit. The secret to a great partnership is very difficult to dissect. Why do you think your association with Robert Powell has been so successful? Um, it was a, a meeting of opposites really. 
um, Robert is this very straight, uh, serious actor. You know, act, I mean, he was Jesus Christ. Come on, mm. and um, uh, at least I've got the same initials. And um, we just we, we were very very good friends. We didn't see much of each other because we lived 120 miles apart. But uh, we were always talking about doing something together. And um, the the I was doing a series called Can Carrot, and we wanted a a running theme. And the writers came up with the detectives. And, um, and I said to them, who do you see as the other detective? And they said, oh, we don't want a comedian. We don't want anybody funny. Um, and they said to me, that we, you know, we want somebody like, I don't know, oh, Robert Powell. Uh, and, and to them, he was totally unapproachable. And of course, I was very smug. And I just said, uh, well, uh, shall I give him a call? And they were stunned. You know, and I phoned up Robert. He said, I'll send you some scripts over, see what you think. And the first thing he said to me, Robert, he got back to me and went, these are terrific. He said, it could be a series. And, uh, and so it turned out to be. Now, as part of the production company, Celador, you had a hand in devising Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I recently interviewed Chris Tarrant and he told me that it started as a simple feature on his radio show. So how did you get the format from that simple idea to a formidable television ratings phenomenon? Well, it had very little to do with me, I've got to say that. Um, essentially, um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was conceived by three people from Capital Radio, which is the link with Chris Tarrant, of course. And my involvement really was to, I was, in, I was a shareholder of the company, and because that, that company, Celador, made my shows, um, it was an in to the networks to get it on to uh, major television. So I didn't have much to do with it other than um, making Celador uh, um, a name to be reckoned with in the business. Looking back at your career, what is your proudest achievement? Um, my proudest achievement would be doing an hour's live stand-up on network television. It was uh, ITV, it was a Sunday night, nine o'clock till 10 o'clock, live to air. No one had ever done it, and no one's ever done it since. Um, and I would say that's my, that's probably my proudest moment. Thank you very much to our guest for being the subject of another Beyond the Title interview. If you like this, why not browse the website and see if there's anything else that takes your fancy. Don't forget to like our Facebook page to receive updates on forthcoming interviews and to see more information about me and what I do. Thanks again and hopefully see you next time for another Beyond the Title interview.